following is a presentation of Amarillo Fellowship, a community dedicated to spreading the love and hope of Christ. For more information and other podcasts, visit AmarilloFellowship.com. Thank you. Thank you, Pastor Stephanie. It's our, our pleasure to be here. And uh, yeah, our, tid, our kids are, are talented. That's, and Cindy and I, they go, Where, where'd your kids go? That creative ability. And we're going, we don't know. We just kind of pulled it together and they took it all. But it, it's a great pleasure to be here. Every time we come back, I'm just amazed uh, at how great you all have grown, not just in, in, in numbers, you know, and, but in quality as well. I mean, uh, Pastor, Pastor Richie and Pastor Pam and Pastor Stephanie, Pastor Rob, all the, the staff, you just do a fantastic job. And I know you guys coming week in and week out, you maybe don't observe it as much as whenever we come periodically and we're here, but we just see this tremendous growth and what a great spirit on this church. I, that's just a, that's a huge thing. So it's my honor and my privilege to be here. So let's just take a minute and pray and then we'll jump into the word. How about that? Father, we thank you so much uh, for this opportunity to be here, Lord. And Father, Holy Spirit, we just now give you the free reign here. And we just ask that you would open our hearts and our minds, Lord, that your word would become real to us. Father, I ask that you'd help me to impart this message that, that you've given me in such a way that it changes our lives, Lord, that we see you better and we know you and understand you in a new way and in a dynamic way, Father. And we thank you for your anointing upon our time and upon this service in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 Okay, I want to talk to you today about something that might be kind of familiar to you, but maybe you don't fully understand the significance, and that is communion, right? The Lord's Supper. If you're like me and you've been around church most all your life, I tell everybody I had a drug problem when I was a kid. My mom drugged me to church every time it was... (laughs) Uh, the doors were open, right? And so I always, you know, had, had been around communion, kind of knew basically what it was about, but I never really understood the full import, right, the full significance of communion. And so the Lord kind of gave me this teaching and this lesson. I want to share it with you all. And I think as I do, hopefully at the conclusion of, of this, this message, you'll know more about how to receive life, right, and peace and health and wholeness whenever we receive communion, whenever we partake of communion, right? There's a scripture, 2 Peter 1, 2 Peter 1, 2 and 3 says this, grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord as his divine power, this is just a great word, as his divine power has given to us all things that pertain to life and godliness, right? through the knowledge of him who called us by glory and virtue. So what this scripture says, and others say as well, that as we grow in our knowledge of Christ, as we more fully understand all that he has done for us and all that he is, then all things that pertain to life and godliness become ours. Right? I don't know about you, but I could use more life. I could use more godliness. I could use more peace. I could use more of the presence of God in my life. Right? And this scripture says, as we learn more about him and more about who he is and what he's done, then those things become more prevalent in our lives. Jesus said, as he was uh, partaking of communion with his disciples, he said, as often as you do this, do it in remembrance of me. 
You all have heard that scripture before. As often as you do it, do it in remembrance of me. And remembrance in the Greek, that word remembrance means to bring something to mind and to recognize its significance. Okay, if you do something in remembrance of somebody or of something, you're bringing it to mind and you're recognizing the significance, the importance of what it was that happened there, right? And so Jesus is saying, what I want you to understand every time you receive of communion is the significance of what it means. And so that's what we're going to be studying, going to be talking about today. Amen? Amen. With me so far? Can't get up and leave now. We're just getting started, okay? First thing, first thing to know about communion was it was first introduced about 18 centuries before Christ, right? 1800 B.C. In fact, in 1868 B.C., what happened was the biblical patriarch Abraham, right, had just moved into the land of Canaan, and his nephew Lot had moved to a couple of cities called Sodom and Gomorrah. Probably heard about them. They kind of had a bad rep. But Sodom and Gomorrah, so Lot moves over there, and these enemy kings come in, and they invade Sodom and Gomorrah. And they take the entire population of those two cities, along with Lot and all his family and all his belongings, they take them captive, right? And they haul them off and take them back across the, across the, the river. And so Abraham hears about this and gets 300 of his servants 300 of his best men together, and they, he goes to take back Lot, right? So it's 300 men and Abraham against these huge armies of these four kings, and Abraham goes across the river, plunders the four kings, over, devastates them, overtakes them, brings all of Lot and his family back across the river and back home, right? So it was this huge upset, kind of like last week, Denver and Carolina, right? Picture Peyton Manning and the Denver Broncos, right? So Abraham goes and he takes back all the possessions of Lot and he brings them back. And as he's returning back to the land of Canaan, he meets this priest of the Most High God named Melchizedek. Okay, Melchizedek. So if you ever want to do an interesting study about a biblical figure, then Google or get in your your Bible and find out about Melchizedek. Because the Bible says... He was a priest of the Most High God who was without beginning or end, right? Who was without father or mother. Some commentators say that he was a pre-incarnate Christ, that it was Jesus appearing in the Old Testament. But however you look at Melchizedek, what you see is the first mention of communion takes place with regard to Abraham and Melchizedek. So if you look in Genesis, the 14th chapter, Beginning the 18th verse, Genesis 14, 18, it says this. Then Melchizedek, king of Salem, brought out bread and wine. Sound familiar? Communion, right? Brought out bread and wine. He was the priest of God Most High, and he blessed him and said, Blessed be Abram of God Most High, possessor of heaven and earth. And blessed be God Most High, who has delivered your enemies into your hand. And he, Abraham, gave him Melchizedek a tithe of all. Okay? So this is the first time communion is mentioned in the Bible, right? Now there's a principle about biblical interpretation that you need to understand, and that is it's called the law of first mention. Okay? Anytime something is mentioned for the first time in the Bible, first time it's introduced, it has a special significance. It has a special meaning. And that same concept will carry that significance and will carry that truth 
throughout the rest of the Bible. It'll be expounded upon, it'll be explained, but it will still have that same meaning and that same significance throughout the Bible. So what do we see here, right? The first time communion is mentioned, what do we learn? What do we see here that carries throughout the rest of the, the, uh, the Bible? And the first thing that we learn is that Melchizedek, whether he was a pre-incarnate Jesus or whether he just represents Jesus, however you look at it, it's a picture of Jesus, right, presenting the body and the blood, the bread and the wine to Abraham for the first time. So he's ministering communion, ministering himself, essentially, the bread and the wine to Abram for the first time. Okay? So beginning at this point and going forward, what we see is the blessing of God being prevalent and being present in Abraham's life from this point forward. In fact, he becomes the richest man in all of civilization. I mean, in the whole civilized world, Abraham is the most blessed. He has more servants. He has more camels. He has more people. He has more belongings. He has everything. Abram becomes the richest man in, in all of civilization. At the age of 100 years old, he and his wife, who has been barren for her entire life up to this point, have a son, Isaac, right? 100 years old, have a son, Isaac. But more significant than that, the most important thing that we see beginning at this point moving forward is that Abraham enjoyed such an intimate relationship with God that he became known as the friend of God. The friend of God. Now, in the Old Testament, that's huge, right? Because God didn't indwell in people in the Old Testament. He would come to them and would appear to them, right? And so what Abraham saw from this point beginning forward was that as he received communion in faith from Melchizedek, he received the fullness of the blessings of being in covenant with God. Right? So little notation there. Law of first mention, receiving communion by faith opens up the covenant blessings of God, okay? And so that, that's what we're doing. Okay, so then the next time that we see communion talked about, at least with, in Jesus' ministry, is 1,900 years later, right? Fast forward 1,900 years, and we see Jesus the night before he goes to the cross. You all know about this, right? The Last Supper. You know, the disciples are getting together and Jesus is ministering what was then known as the Passover feast to the Hebrews, right? The Hebrews had what they called a Passover Seder, right, or a Passover supper. And Jesus is gathering his disciples together in the upper room and he's ministering to them about communion, about this Passover feast, about what they're doing. Right, And so if we go to Luke, the, the, night, the 22nd chapter, Luke 22, verse 19, he's teaching them about this, the Passover, but he gives it a special twist, right? Kind of a special turn of a truth that's going on here that he wants them to understand. He says this, And he took the bread, and he gave thanks, and he broke it, right? And gave it to them, saying, This is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Right? And this is kind of a, they're going, what? It's, your body? Yeah, it's my body given for you. Likewise, he also took the cup after supper, saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood, which is shed for you. And by the way, if you also want to do an interesting teaching, study about the cups of the Seder, right? The cups of the Passover. There were four cups. This is the last cup after supper, 
Luke also talks about the first cup that he takes, but that's the cup of judgment, by the way. And that's the one that he drinks himself. Okay, So Jesus drinks of the cup of judgment himself because he takes his judgment upon us. But this is the last cup, and it's called the cup of redemption. Okay, So that cup of redemption he takes and he drinks of it, and he passes it around to them. Why? Because his redemption is being shed. He's being shared with them. So that's this twist on the Passover that's, that's going on, right? And so he takes that. So while this is an old ceremony, one that these guys had, had practiced since they were little Hebrew kids, right? This is an old ceremony. All of this is new to the disciples when Jesus starts teaching about this. It's something we know as New Testament believers. We look back, we've heard all this, but to them they're going, What? You know, we don't, we don't understand what this is all about. But what Jesus is essentially saying is, this bread is my body and this wine is my blood, and it's, my body is broken, my blood is shed for you. And by the way, tomorrow at about 3 o'clock, <laughs> tomorrow at 3 o'clock, I'm going to demonstrate this to you. Yeah. Right? I'm, I'm going I'm to show you how this works. And so what he does is, the next day, obviously he's betrayed that night, next day he's taken on trial, we know the whole the whole story in the process of the crucifixion he sheds his blood seven times okay over the course of the crucifixion crown of thorns spear in his side the whipping that he received and the whole process of being tried and crucified he shed his, sheds his blood seven times and he gives his body right he gives his body not only for those disciples that were following him but also for each one of us and for anyone of mankind who's born thereafter that would receive and partake of what he did on the cross, right? It's what salvation's all about. It's about receiving Christ and receiving the fact that he died, he gave his body, and he gave his blood for us, right? And so that's what Jesus is teaching them with regard to communion. And so what does all of that mean to us today, right? As New Testament believers, we've seen it in the Old Testament, right? We've seen it pre-cross, because that was right before Jesus went to the cross. We saw it Old Testament. We saw it pre-cross. Now, what about after the cross? What about now as New Testament believers? And here's something that we always want to remember anytime we're studying the Bible. The Bible is interesting, fascinating book of facts, right? Factually and archaeologically and historically, it can stand with any other book. It can. I mean, it can stand up. It's fascinating. It can be studied at great depth. But if you don't ever take those facts, if you don't ever take those, the, the, the details that are in the Bible and apply it to your own life, then you're missing the whole point, right? Because every aspect of the Bible has an application to us today, right? The Old Testament was a shadow of those things. The New Testament is a revelation of those things. And so as we look at this idea of communion, unless we say, what does it mean to me today? Marty Rowley, sitting here today, Amarillo Fellowship, in the state that I'm in, the condition that I'm in, you know, what does that mean to me today? Because God always wants his word to pierce the division of soul and spirit, joint and marrow. He wants that to come into our heart and change us, right, and change us. My prayer, anytime I'm ever, I teach a men's Bible study group, and anytime I preach somewhere, my, my prayer always is, Lord, use your word to change your people. 
right? Because if we can ever be conformed by his word, then what we see is growth and life and health and wholeness, all the things that he intends for us, right? So then if we take this idea of communion and we go, okay, what does it mean to us as New Testament believers? We get a little bit of help from Paul, right? From the epistle of Paul in uh, 1 Corinthians 11. (laughs) Okay, never mind. I had, a, I had a joke there in the first service that didn't work, and so that's, that's what that pause was, but I'm going to try it anyway. It, no, it's really not a joke. It's just a little side. It says, you know, if it was Donald Trump, he would say 1 Corinthians 11. Y'all got it a little better than they, they're going to I had to throw a little politics in there anyway. 1 Corinthians 11. Google it if you don't know what I'm talking about. You'll just see it. Okay, 1 Corinthians 11, 23, right? Paul... in in his epistle writing to the church at Corinth but to us as New Testament believers as well and this is what he says for I received from the Lord this is 1 Corinthians 11 23 for I received from the Lord that which I also delivered to you that the Lord Jesus on the same night in which he was betrayed took bread right and when he had given thanks he broke it and said take eat this is my body which is broken for you do this in remembrance of me In the same manner, he also took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. This do as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. And then verse 26, For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death till he comes. A couple things to note there, but one is first. When he says, As often as you do this, He's not putting a limit on how often you do it, okay? Sometimes we think we only, we're only supposed to take communion two times a year. Some churches take communion two times, Easter and Christmas Eve, right? Some people think, okay, I'm only supposed to do it once a month. Some churches say once a quarter. I believe you take communion as often as you need to come into remembrance of what Jesus Christ did for you, yeah. right? I mean, Cindy and I, when we're going through a particularly stressful situation or something that, that we're really intense about praying for or believing for, we take communion over it. You know, we just get out a little cracker crumb and a little shot glass and get a little juice and just, you know, take cracker crumb and, you know, do and, and just pray about it. And we say, Lord, we're bringing to remembrance everything you did for us and we're receiving your body and your blood in belief that we're going to see your life in this. We're going to see change in this particular situation. And I can tell you, we can testify about many, many things over which we took communion and we saw a, a change. We saw a result. We saw something different. Why is that? Because our faith is being stirred, right? Our faith is being stirred by the promises of God. And so it's, as often as you do it, it just means as often as you need to do it. As often as you need to come into remembrance of that, do it right and so that's what he's saying and so but here's the second part as often as you as you take communion you proclaim and affirm and announce right you proclaim the significance of the lord's death until he returns the significance of his death until he returns what does that mean isaiah 53 isaiah 53 tells us that he bore our griefs and carried our sorrows hallelujah He was wounded for our transgressions and was bruised for our iniquities, right? That the chastisement and the wrath of God was upon him so it would not have to be upon us. Right? Isn't that the significance of the Lord's death? I mean, isn't that what it means when he died on the cross? All of those things. 
That's a pretty significant proclamation, isn't it? So anytime we receive the communion, we're proclaiming those things in our own life. All right? We're proclaiming our iniquities are no longer upon us. We're proclaiming that our griefs and our sorrows, that talks about sicknesses and diseases. It's really what that's talking about, that they're no longer upon us. We're proclaiming the fact that transgressions and, and sinfulness are no longer ours to bear because his is there. Even more so in a time of stress, in a time of need, we're proclaiming the chastisement necessary for our peace. Whew, how many of us need peace nowadays? Chastisement necessary for our peace was upon him. And so we're receiving that. Okay, amen. So that's the, that's the proclamation of his death. So here's the last part. When we eat the bread and we drink the cup, right, what effect should it have on us, right? What expectation should we bring to the Lord's Supper to expect to be changed? What's our expectation? Because isn't that what faith is? Faith is an expectation of things hoped for, right? The evidence of things not seen. And so what expectation should we have? Well, most of us know about the blood. Right? We know about the blood, scriptures like Colossians 1.14, Ephesians 1.7. Those are all both scriptures that say, in him, in Jesus, we have redemption through his blood. Right? The forgiveness of sins. And most of us have been taught about that, that by the blood of Christ we've been cleansed, we've been forgiven. And that's very important, right? That idea of redemption meaning the price has been paid for our sin. But what about the bread? And this is the part that was kind of a revelation to me, right? And this is the part that I hope impacts you as well today, is the idea of what expectation should we have when we receive that little wafer as the body of Christ, right? As the bread of Christ. So let's, let's talk about that. In John 6, Jesus taught on this, right? He said to them, Most assuredly, I say to you, Moses did not give the bread from heaven, but my Father gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God who is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. Right? Gives life to the world. Then they said to him, Lord, give us this bread always. He's going, okay, stay with me. You know, boys, try to stay connected here. Give us this bread always. And Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. Right? I am the bread of life. He who comes to me shall never hunger, and he who believes in me shall never thirst. I don't know about you guys. But I hunger and thirst for a lot, right? I mean, it seems like whatever I get here on this earth, I still hunger for more, right? Cindy and I went out on our Valentine's date on Friday night. I was ahead of the curve. Thank you very much. On Friday night, right? Ate this big meal, you know, just had all this good Italian food. About 10 o'clock that night, I thought, I'm hungry. Oh, I'm not hungry, you know, but I thought I'm hungry. It's like that with anything that we try to satisfy ourselves in this world. As much of it as we get, we're still hungry for more, right? The thing about Jesus is, if you receive him, you don't hunger and thirst anymore. He's the only thing that truly satisfies, right? And that's what he's teaching them. And then in verse 48 of that same chapter, John, John 6, 48, he says, I'm the bread of life. Your father ate the manna in the wilderness and are dead. Your fathers, this is the bread which comes down from heaven that one may eat of it and not die. So he's talking about everlasting life, eternal life here. If anyone, uh, I am the living bread which comes down from heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. And the bread that I shall give is my flesh, which I give for the life of the world. All right, for the life of the world. Now they hear this and they kind of freak out a little bit. 
right? They're going, they didn't have the benefit of, you know, the epistles of Paul and the other explanations. They read this and they go, what? You know, this guy's talking about eating his flesh and drinking his blood. You know, it's a little weird. And so a lot of them leave, right? A lot of them go back. And Jesus says, to some, well, what about you guys? And they say, well, we don't have anywhere else to go uh, except here. And they say, okay, well, let me explain this to you. Okay, let me, let me show you what this is all about. I am the bread of life. And if you will receive me, right? If you will ingest me, if you will, but if you'll receive my, my blood, or my bread, uh, me, my body, then life comes to you as a result of that. That's the expectation that we should bring to the Lord's table. That when we drink of the blood, our sin and our sinfulness is, is eradicated. But when we eat the body, life comes from that. Life comes from that. And so as often as you do it, do it in remembrance of the fact that he's bringing life to you. He's bringing that bread, brings whatever area of your being that lacks life. All right, just think about that. In whatever area of your being that lacks life, when you receive communion by faith, receive the life of Christ. Receive the provision of Christ. In John 10, Jesus says, I have come to bring you life and that more abundantly. I'm bringing a more abundant life. So as you receive that bread, then what you do is you're receiving the life of God. You're receiving that presence of God. Okay, so we're going to receive communion together here in just a minute, right? And we're going to do it as a group. You might have already gone and, and done it back there, and that's, that's fine. That's, that's not a problem at all. But we, I want to receive it together. But as we do, in fact, uh, Christian and you guys can, can start getting ready now, and the ushers can get ready to, uh, to pass that out. And, but, but as we do that, here's the expectation, right, the expectation that I want us to bring. First off, whenever we talk about the cup and receiving the cup, then what we're talking about is that because Jesus shed his blood, then we don't have to. Our sins are paid for, completely redeemed, completely abolished, not just atoned for. That's an Old Testament concept, right? You atone for something means you cover it over. What Jesus did was he abolished sin, right? He did away with it. It no longer has any effect over us. So if you've received Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, when you receive that blood, what you're doing is receiving the righteousness of God in Christ. Right? So you're made righteous before him. You have right standing with God. So you're able to do that. Then when we receive the bread, right? when we receive the, the wafer, what we're doing is we're receiving the body of Christ. And he's the bread of life. He's the bread of life. So it's almost like you're just, you're just receiving the life of Christ whenever you receive that wafer. Okay? All right, so if you guys want to go ahead and begin to, to pass that out, let me give just a little bit of instructions uh, before we do that. First off, here at Amarillo Fellowship, we believe in an open believer's communion, okay? An open believer's communion. That means you don't have to be a member of this church, right, in order to receive communion. What we do ask, though, is that you be a member of the body of Christ. And essentially, that means that at some point in your life, you've made a decision to accept Christ as your Lord and Savior, right? That what He did for you, He did on the cross, He did for you. Now, if you've not done that before, if you've not received Christ and you want to partake of this communion, you want to receive Him today, then if you will, just slip your hand up right there where you are, and we've got prayer team members around, and they want, they'll come pray with you, okay? They'll come minister to you, and they'll come pray to you so that you can accept Christ, and so that you can partake of this life-giving 
ceremony that he has made available for us, okay? So if anybody wants to do that, you just slip up your hand, and our folks will be watching for you, and and we'll come around and pray for you. So as you receive the, the cup and you receive the bread, if you will, just hold on to it for a minute, okay? Just hold on to it for a minute, and then we'll all receive it together. We'll pray over it, and then we'll receive it together, okay? All right. up I want to I want to touch on one more one more little teaching it's kind of another sermon in and of itself but one little teaching a lot of times when we read that passage out of first Corinthians 11 verse 27 says um, that examine yourself lest any of you eat of this bread or drink of this cup in an unworthy manner right and so what a lot of people think and what I've heard taught is that if you have any sin in your life you're not supposed to take communion okay I don't agree with that, by the way. And I think if you study that, what you'll find is, it goes on to say, because if you do so, you're not rightly discerning the body of Christ. That's what it says. And so the unworthy manner in which that is talking about is not rightly discerning the body of Christ. In other words, not understanding this teaching. Right? I mean, think about it. Because what we just taught about was the body of Christ. If you go back and you'll read that verse number 27 it says the unworthy manner is not rightly discerning the body of Christ it's not talking about you being unworthy doesn't make sense because through the blood you become worthy right it's the blood that makes you worthy and so it's talking about doing it in an unworthy manner the manner in which we do it 
In other words, we don't understand that life comes. Because he goes on to say, for this reason, many of you sleep. Right? And going, oh my gosh, I'm going to die if I take communion. I've got sin in my life. It's not a truth. That's simply not true. But the, the truth is, you're worthy to receive it because the blood has been shed already for you. And the reason why those sleep is because they don't recognize that life comes from the body of Christ, from communion, right? Okay, so if any of you passed because you said you've got sin in your life, raise your hand and we'll bring it to you right now. You'll be okay, okay? Because the fact is, through the blood, through the blood of Christ, we're worthy to receive, right? And now we're going to do this a little bit differently. Most of the times you take the bread first and then you take the cup second. But I want to take the cup first and then the bread, okay? And the reason I'm doing it is, is, is for this. It's through the blood that we're able to receive the body, right? Because through the blood of Christ, we're made righteous and we can come boldly into God's throne of grace to obtain help and mercy in time of need. That's what the word says. So as we receive the cup, what we're saying is the blood of Christ covers over my sin, not just my sin, but my sins, Okay? Sins being the acts of omission or commission, but also sin being the sinful nature we inherited from Adam. Two different things. But through the blood, then our sin is eradicated and our sins are paid for. Okay, everybody good with that? So, let's hold up the cup, right? We thank you, Jesus, right, for the new covenant that is sealed by your blood, right? Your blood has brought me forgiveness, freedom from sin, and right standing before the Father. Whew, that's good. And Father, we drink this cup. We celebrate and partake of the inheritance of the righteous, which is an ever everlasting relationship with the Most High God. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's receive the cup. Okay, there's some containers, I think, at the end of your row. We can pass those by, and y'all can drop those in there. And as you've done that, then if you will, take this little oyster cracker. (laughs) It's pretty fancy. Y'all don't have little cracker crumbs. You've got real nice little oyster crackers. Okay? Okay, so our expectation, right, is that we're receiving by faith the body of Christ, which is the bread of life. The bread of life. So that as we receive this, this bread, we're receiving life. We're receiving Christ and receiving his body. And we're worthy to do that because of the blood that we just received, right? The blood we just partook of. Okay. So hold up the bread. Thank you, Father, for Jesus' broken body, which is the bread of life. We receive it. And as we receive it, we receive health and wholeness and peace and provision and all things for which we hunger. We thank you, Lord, that as we receive this bread, we receive life and that more abundantly. We thank you, Father, that you have given us all things that pertain to life and godliness. And all those things are in the body of your Son. And we receive that now in Jesus' name. Amen. You receive that. Okay, so here's the closing, right? When we just receive that blood, we receive freedom from sin. We walk in in a totally righteous standing before God. The law of sin and death no longer has power over any one of us. That's the expectation we had as we received that cup. 
When we received the bread, we received the life of Christ. We received the body of Christ. So that there's any area of our being for which life is not evident and it's not being shown, then by faith we receive that today. Amen. As often as you do it, proclaim, proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Amen. Amen. Praise God. Thank you all very much. This has been a presentation of Amarillo Fellowship, a community dedicated to spreading the love and hope of Christ. For more information and other podcasts, visit amarillofellowship.com.